0: This week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. There's something I learned as I grew up, and especially as I became part of a relatively small industry, and that is that when you have a unique first name like Carice, you're often just referred to by that first name. Well, I'm not the only person in the fraud industry that's often referred to by their first name. There are a few of us. And one of those people is my guest on today's episode, Soups. Soups Ranjan is the CEO and co-founder of the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter, Sardine. Prior to Sardine, Soups helped lead and build the internal ML and AI fraud tools for companies like Coinbase and Revolut. So not only is he an experienced fraud fighter, but the man knows his stuff. And because of that, this conversation won't be a typical vendor sales pitch or an infomercial. It was important to both of us that we talked about overarching trends that we're both seeing from a 10,000 foot view of fraud. When it comes to fraud in banking, various types of fintechs from neobanks to crypto to B2B fintechs, two-sided marketplaces and one-sided traditional e-com. we kind of stretched the gamut. There were two themes that we started with, and then we just kind of let the conversation go from there. The first topic was fraud and scams targeting faster payments. And the way that Zoops defines faster payments, I think is very accurate. It's not just the name of, you know, FedNow and what's going on in the US, but it includes, you know, electronic funds transfers, ACH, but also peer-to-peer money transferring apps like Zelle, Venmo, and Cash App as well as wallets like Apple Pay and Google Pay. So we talked about all the fraud and scams. Well, I wouldn't say all the fraud and scams, but a lot of the fraud and scams that are targeting all of those different types of faster money movement and why there's such a risk, right? As Supes is going to say soon, faster payments means faster fraud and I think it's very accurate. And we also talked about some of the fraud issues impacting marketplaces and standard traditional retail e-commerce with goods that have to be shipped to physical addresses, whether that's freight forwarding or hotels are becoming a big thing. Well, they've always been a big thing, but they're uh, coming back as kind of a big thing lately for retailers. Uh, It's difficult to always rely on the shipping address. And there's other types of fraud that are impacting retailers as well after the transaction that pre-transaction risk monitoring systems just aren't catching. So we really dove into that too. So while focusing on those two core topic areas, we also talked about a recent NPR article that focused on the hesitancy of banks in the U.S. to adopt FedNow or faster payments uh, because of fraud concerns, the existing and proposed liability assignments to financial institutions that process Zelle payments like in the U.K. and soon in the U.S., and what this could mean to other peer-to-peer money transferring apps, too. We talked about some of the reasons why AML and fraud products and the teams have historically run separately from each other, but also how they could inform each other if they didn't run separately and within their silos. I also asked Soups why he and his co-founders named their company after a small oily fish. So you're definitely going to want to listen to that. Other things we talked about were challenges verifying data for e-com transaction risk, especially for orders shipping internationally, as well as freight forwarders shipping to hotels, shipping to large apartment buildings, all of those things. Uh, The challenges many online companies have in identifying non-payment fraud, like refund claims fraud, promo code abuse, loyalty fraud, etc. And why two-sided marketplaces are struggling with seller fraud lately, and how looking at the problem differently could be the answer. Somehow we got all these subjects and a few others into our conversation that lasted just under an hour. And I have to say, this is one of those conversations that I kept thinking about long after it was over. It was truly thought provoking. So I know that you will enjoy listening in on my conversation with Soups, CEO and co-founder of Sardine. Welcome back to Fraudology. I always enjoy having conversations with smart people in this industry. And, you know, there's a famous quote that said, surround yourself with smarter people. And my guest is definitely someone who I view as much smarter than I am. And I've learned so much from and I'm excited for you all to learn from him today, too. Um, my guest today is Soups Ranjan. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sardine. Soups, welcome to Fraudology.
1: Thanks for having me, Curie. I'm a big fan of fraudology, uh, big fan of everything you're doing for the the community, and you know, really, really excited to uh, to be here.
0: Well, thank you. I'm a big fan of sardine. So it uh, and what you all are doing for the community as well. And you know, a rising tide raises all boats. And I think when you rise technology and do things in a different way, it can really hopefully help to make everyone a little bit better and make you know all companies want to improve and take advantage of some of the newer technological capabilities that are out there well so when you and I do get the chance to chat which isn't very often unfortunately not because we wouldn't want to because we're both so busy uh, we often find ourselves nerding out on you know some of the things that we see at this 10,000 foot view of the industry right we're not, on the front lines like we both used to be in our previous lives but we are able to talk to so many different companies sometimes the same ones and able to kind of look at what is you know trends right we're doing our own trend analysis just at a higher higher level maybe you know widening the scope so to speak and so that's pretty much what i wanted to talk to you about today but that's going to go in so many directions but first i wanted to you know just to give everyone else a little bit of an idea of your perspective and you know who you are, where you came from. You come to fraud with much more schooling and expertise than I certainly have, um, and that has benefited a lot of us. So, if you could just you know give us your kind of spoken resume, so to speak, and how it led you to sardine, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I've been in uh, broadly the space of you know cybersecurity fraud all my career. So, I uh, did my PhD in uh, 2005 uh, from Rice University. And my thesis was actually, believe it or not, on catching denial of service attacks and bots and, uh, and and scaling web services in the face of uh, those attacks. right? Uh, and then after my PhD, I came to the Valley. Um, and my first job uh, out of grad school was at a startup which was selling into large tier one telcos in the world and essentially just uh, finding cyber threats, right? Like DDoS attacks and bots. And also like protocol attacks, like on Border Gateway Protocol or Voice over IP, which is SIP, etc. And I, after that company got acquired by Boeing, I I, I left uh, and to uh, do a stint across a variety of companies solving for click fraud. Right. So uh, the next the uh, the next five years of the career were then just working at various companies including Yelp, detecting click farms, and then I uh, ventured into essentially payment fraud. So the last. I would say like eight to 10 years of my career have been payment fraud related. My first foray in payment fraud was at Coinbase where I was one of the first 15 engineers over there. Um, I'm a machine learning engineer by training. So I wrote up the machine learning algorithms over there to catch identity fraud and payment fraud. And I built up the, the risk team over there. Uh, stayed there for about four years. And then I went over to Revolut where I was heading financial crime for them globally. Uh, so Revolut is a UK-based neobank. It's, uh, perhaps the largest new bank out of Europe. And Revenue is where I then met my two co-founders, Aditya and Zahid, and we decided to start Sardine. And the reason we decided to start Sardine is because we saw there were two trends happening. One was that yeah. uh, embedded finance was taking off, right? So we, we saw that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, they want to start their own companies uh, building a fintech product, but then overnight, they have to all quickly become an expert in fraud and compliance. And our, our take was that, you know, we can be their fraud and compliance partner, right? And so that they only have to think about product market fit and, you know, scaling the the product. The second trend we saw happening was that, you know, with the advent of newer and faster ways of moving money, right? So Apple Pay, Google Pay, which are like wallet based payment methods or the faster payment methods like Zelle, FedNow, RTP here in the US, as well as faster payments in the UK. With those newer, faster ways of moving money, fraud has become uh, much more prevalent and not just fraud, in fact, scams as well. So, therefore, our goal was: uh, what can we bring to the industry, net new, which uh, can solve for these new forms of attack in a much more scalable fashion? Because we we like to say, "With faster payment comes faster fraud." Uh, so that's that's why we started studying for those two net new uh, challenges.
0: Well, I think those are very big challenges that everyone, you know, listening, whether they work for, you know, a retailer who has an online channel or they work for a neobank or an existing bank who is trying to be digital, uh, and may not be digital first, but is trying to compete with the digital first companies. Those two things are probably two of the biggest buckets that are impacting fraud today so you had a lot of foresight to do that you know a few years ago so you shared why you why you started sardine i'm uh, throwing a bit of a curveball question to you that we didn't talk about ahead of time but i know you have an answer why did you name it sardine
1: yeah no absolutely it's a it's a very fun name yeah so we named it sardine for two reasons right so one is suspicious activity reports stars which is what you file when you have a large fraud case in the U.S. above $2,000 or when you have a money laundering case, right? So you file that with the FinCEN in the U.S. And then the second reason we named it is because it's 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 fishy, right? So we want to stop fishy stuff. Stop, we want to stop fishy business, right? And if you really look into the name, so it's actually very symbolic of what we do. We do fraud and compliance in one solution
0: which is revolutionary i I have never understood why it's revolutionary why aml teams and compliance teams and fraud are separate because they're so related um but that's a big deal so that i actually didn't know the answer so that makes perfect sense right the SAR in Sardine. Uh, I actually just in last week's episode, uh, or actually I think maybe two weeks now ago, I uh, talked about Binance and how they never filed a single SAR ever, which is just I a mean, mind boggling. And uh, I mean, especially since you worked for Coinbase, I'm sure you can say just how bonkers that would be because I would imagine because you guys were following the rules, there were a lot of SARs that were filed.
1: 100%, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, that was really uh, wild. I, I did not expect that they had not been filing SARS at all. And Actually, going back to your other question, though, which was actually a very interesting point, like fraud and compliance teams typically, um, you know, the teams have always been different. They will be different because they have very different goals. But uh, what we saw was that you know, they typically buy from uh, by different products, right? And then those products internally don't really talk to each other. And then you have to have like an internal tools team, which makes these two platforms or tools talk to each other, right? And therefore, what we had seen was that, you know, uh, uh, fraud teams tend to be typically more data science focused or data heavy. Whereas the compliance teams, they're kind of like always uh, a little behind the curveball. They want better tooling, but they don't get access to it immediately. So when uh, we started Sardine, our goal was that what if we actually built one platform which solves for both fraud and KYC AML compliance? Because then the compliance professionals they will have access to all the bells and whistles around like data science and machine learning in one package solution, just like the fraud teams have. Right. And secondly, there's more efficiencies of scale, right? Like you you like uh, can escalate cases which are a fraud case over to a compliance professional when you want to file a SAR. Right, easily within one tool, instead of you know, having information floating around via emails or what have you. It's more secure if everything is happening within one platform, within one dashboard.
0: Did you I mean to me that just makes so much
1: sense, but did you find that it was more
0: challenging to build that? Have you seen pushback or have you seen you know, people in the market. When you're talking to whether it's compliance people or fraud people, saying, "Oh, wow, that makes perfect sense," or are they more like, "No, they should be separate." What has been the kind of the market response to that?
1: Yeah, no, actually, it's a it's a very interesting uh, data point. So in fact, four years ago, when I was ideating about starting Sardine, the entry point, I was thinking, uh, should it be fraud or should it be compliance? right? So initially, we went with fraud as the entry point, right? And over the last year, we've just been very heavily focused on uh, enhancing our compliance features around case management all the way to SAR filing, right? But yeah, the initial entry point was fraud, and then uh, later or recently, we focused on compliance. And the reason we did it was that previously, most of the banks were not cloud-based. True. Right? And that's actually a very interesting point. But in the last, uh, I would say, like Four five four or five years, a lot of banks are actually moving, increasing to the cloud now. Because four years ago when I was starting Sardine, because the, I, I I found that most of the banks are not cloud based, you can't do AML transaction monitoring on prem, right? Like I was not ready to bring this Sardine on prem, right? <laughs> and that's why we started, uh, you know, like uh, in the cloud. Everything we do is in the cloud, so that's why we started with fraud. And then later, like as, as banks have increasingly been moving to the cloud, we see there's an opening that, you know, they're all now looking for better tools for doing transaction right instead of the old legacy tools. Like all old legacy transaction monitoring tools that banks use are actually on-prem. If you want to make a new, if you want to make a new rule, you actually call up a person and that person shows up <laughs> at the bank to create a simple rule, right? Whereas now that these banks are going to the cloud, it's actually as easy as, you know, uh, they just log in into a portal. We have a local rule editor and they come up with new scenarios and they create a new rule right away, right off the bat. And they can, after that, backtest the rule and they can see how many times it will be triggered, false positive rate, true positive rate, et cetera.
0: So they can be able to create those new rules very quickly to be able to adapt to new methods of money laundering or new methods of you know moving money that can be suspicious that should have a SAR filed on it. but If you're waiting days or weeks or even hours to have some person come, you know, back on site and create that rule, then you're going to miss things. I think also, I mean, a big component of banks moving to the cloud is also, and, you know, off of any kind of tools that are dependent on, you know, on-prem is because of COVID, right? There were so many situations, I mean... Yeah, chargebacks were one of them where because issuing banks didn't have any tools sitting around, you know, for allowing their people to file chargebacks on behalf of their cardholders, you know, off location, then... There became this huge mountain of chargebacks that all of a sudden dumped on payment processors and merchants later on once they figured out how to you know do things remote and how to be able to access some of those you know internal tools and and really archaic legacy tools through a VPN. That was just a challenge that they had to face very quickly without any there was no time to set up a project or, you know, talk about how it was going to be. It just had to happen. And so I would imagine that's another reason why, you know, and I know that there's always, you know, cloud security questions, but you're able to address those too. So, I mean, so well, as are the cloud companies too. So um, they really go hand in hand and allow banks to be able to do, be more flexible. I'm really glad you went back on that because I really enjoy talking with people who have come up with tools that are different, you know, just because it's this, I personally think that the worst reason to do anything is because that's the way it's always been done. And so, you know, having a separate fraud tool or having a separate compliance tool, you know, and even I know you do some in payment processing as well, which all three of those things are typically three different providers, three different APIs, three different, you know, relationships and all of that, you're now combining them. So I love that aspect, but there's other pieces that are different about sardine too, as far as you're oftentimes we want as fraud fighters. I think when we learn about new tools, we want to just put somebody in a bucket really fast. Okay. Do you do this? Do you do that? Where in the, you know, where in my stack do you live? Where, you know, all those things. And one of the questions we ask is, well, are you for me? Okay. you. I see you work with banks. So you probably won't work with an e-com or I see you work with, you know, marketplaces, would you work with, you know, a fintech or crypto? And the answer is Sardine does all of it. And so can you explain how you came about that and just how you were able to even make that doable?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, let me me first begin by uh, sharing like uh, what Sardine is, right? So best way of discovering Sardine is we are building Lego blocks for fraud and compliance, right? We are highly modular product, right? And one of the Lego blocks, which is proprietary to us, is essentially a uh, device intelligence and behavior biometrics, right? So now the reason we first built that Lego block is because our initial set of customers were all digital first, right? So we were selling into fintechs, crypto exchanges, uh, gift card companies. So we, today we work with uh, the top three crypto exchanges in the world. We work with the top two gift card exchanges in the US, and we work with both. Uh, almost all of the B2B fintechs in the US and several of the B2C fintechs, right? So in these use cases, when you're loading money into a wallet using a card or using an a bank account via ACH, we stop fraud at that money movement, right? So we tell you if that money which is moving into the wallet is stolen. Is it coming from a stolen bank or stolen card? Now if you think about it, traditional fraud prevention providers, which are e-commerce related, they would look at your transaction fraud from the point of view of like, is the product that you buy after connecting your card, uh, is it being shipped to a P.O. box, right? Or what is the shopping cart an, uh, analytics, uh, you know, did I buy the, the highest value goods, right? However, when you're loading money into a wallet, uh, you don't have shipping address, you don't have shopping cart. All you have is behavior, right? Like uh, while creating an account at the fintech, did I type my social security number fast because I remembered it? Or did I context switch a lot because I had to copy-paste it? Or did I context switch a lot because I meant typing one character at a time, right? Or we go very deep on the behavior side. We look at how you uh, type, swipe, scroll, move the mouse, hold the phone. So if I'm a bot, I would be you know creating an account, but there's no tap pressure when I'm typing, or maybe the the phone is face-down when I'm typing. So we look at all all of that data as well. So therefore, yeah, uh, we built device and behavior biometrics as the first Lego block. And then what we did is that we said, okay, we'll, we'll provide with you with machine learning fraud scores either at the time of account opening or at the time of, you know, funding the account via ECH of cards or at the time of login. So we do account takeover detection. And finally, even when you are like taking money out of the wallet, then we look at it from a transaction monitoring of AML point of view or also from what you call, you know, uh, stolen card fraud. Like did the card that I issued as a new bank issuer, did somebody steal my card and now I'm spending at a faraway location at a different MCC that I don't spend at, right? So that was the, like the second building block, right? Like just machine learning fraud. And then the third building block was, uh, we said, okay, let's actually provide like a wide variety of data enrichments from both KYC as well as fraud point of view. So we tap into about 35 different data providers. Yeah, we do on KYC. We do uh, both eKYC, electronic KYC, EK as well as documentary. Uh, on the eKYC, we tap into bureaus and we can verify SSNs. Documentary KYC, we, ta- we work with uh, several providers and we can verify uh, a document like a driver license or passport with a selfie, right? And then finally, on the compliance side, we do case management all the way to SAR filing. So you can review cases. You have like a rule editor where you can look at, uh, Create like typologies for caching fraud or money laundering, all the way to filing a SAR. So yeah, so in a nutshell, therefore, Sardine, to bring it all back is really uh, we're providing modular building blocks around fraud and compliance to uh, to to builders, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to buy everything from us, right? Yeah. So uh, now, like the industries that we work with, right? So we work with several banks, we work with uh, uh, several fintechs, and we work uh with now actually a lot of marketplaces, retailers, e-commerce as well, right? And for banks, for example, like banks who are engaging in bin sponsorship or banks who are uh providing uh card acquiring services, right? But then, you know, we provide again our fraud and compliance building blocks. So yeah, you know, some of the banks that we work with who are doing bin sponsorship of FinTech, they use the whole suite of products. They use like uh payment fraud, You know, identity fraud, the use of KYC and the use of case management. For the banks who are now interested in or are building their own merchant acquiring services, right? We provide again, card fraud or ACH fraud. And then for e-commerce retailers, right? It's actually very interesting. Uh, e-commerce retailers, today's fraud solutions that they work with, they were all transaction based. So there's no concept of a, of a user. In those solutions today. So, but now if you look at it, like almost all retailers are now going away from guest checkouts. They are now increasingly having people provide the the personal information, the email, the phone number, getting into the point of like becoming a stored value wallet. You have your card details stored over there. Therefore, e-commerce retailers, when they come to us, they are asking questions like, Hey, how can I detect account takeover? Right. Which we solve for because we look at it in device and behavior data. Is the new sign up login coming from a proxy or a VPN? You can pierce a proxy and tell you what is the true IP behind it, right? Retailers uh, also come and ask us about things like, "Hey, can you help us with uh, uh, the general, you know, chargeback guarantee, right?" And we we do that as well. So, and then further, there are like marketplaces that we work with, right, where there is like collusion fraud, like buyers and sellers in the marketplace. So again, collusion fraud. If you again distill it down. This, the building block that you need is device intelligence, Fingerprinting Is the buyer and the seller are doing the same device, right? And then you, of course, have a network graph tool, which shows you that very very clearly, that you know between these buyers and sellers, are they sharing devices, email addresses, counterparties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about spec. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but SPEC's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. SPEC lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of SPEC's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. You did such a good job of explaining that. And I am so glad that we took a step back because talking about it like Legos or like building blocks makes so much sense and being able, because a lot of times what we see in the market is a company that just provides one of those things. And that's what we're used to. You know, and I know of of several people who are either using you now or in pretty, uh, the mature conversations with your team, you know, whether they're on the e-commerce side uh, of marketplaces and, you know, standalone one-sided mark, you know, one-sided retailers, uh, for online commerce, or they have their own app or also done to fintech, right? Whether it's crypto or whether it's wallets and P2P, you know, a lot of them have been having lots of conversations with you and. I noticed that some of them are interested in one specific piece and others are interested in the whole suite of products, you know, replacing the risk stack that they have now, Uh, knowing that, you know, all those pieces can talk to each other in a different way. And that there's only one API for all of those pieces, which is Pretty mind blowing knowing that there are, you know, a few companies that have been around for a little while, you know, that provide machine learning or other things like that, where they have several different APIs. If you want, if you want account creation or account login or a, or account takeover protection and you want transaction monitoring, those are two separate APIs that often don't even talk to each other, even though you're Paying the same rate, so um, knowing that you're providing these things that are that are helpful in so many ways, not just helpful in the identifying of fraud, but also just even in something as simple as you only have one provider to really you know to work with, rather than can you talk can this provider talk to that provider and how do they work together and you know are they going to share data the same way and are we going to be able to get the same amount of rich data and and all of that and I love some of the other you know specifics that you and your team have done and I think it says a lot. The fact that you have your PhD, you know, in engineering as well, you're able to, you think there's a lot of us with imaginations, you know, Matt Vega and I, we love to blue sky and, you know, have these big imaginations, but we don't know what's actually possible from an engineering perspective. Um, And so, and you do. And so, you know, some examples are some of the hardest fraud to identify now Sardine does, and it makes it look easy. Where I was blown away that you have the ability to tell banks when someone logs into their system and has screen sharing. And, you know, it's a victim-assisted scam. Also, you know, like you said about, you know, account takeover and looking at the logins. And how did that person enter their password every other time they've entered you know, how did they tap it on the screen? What was the pressure? Were they using their thumbs or their fingers? How far away was the screen from their face? You know, all mixing all of these things together and being able to say, okay, hey, they've logged in the same way every single time. And even if they do have the same device, even if they did steal their phone, or they're using, you know, a not an emulator, but you know, they're able to actually log into the, the computer, you know, using malware, that you can identify those things. And so how have some of those ideas come along? And then what are, you know, what are just some of the more exciting use cases, like I just mentioned that you find yourself talking about quite a bit lately?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So one one of the things uh, that we're seeing is that uh, with faster payment comes faster fraud, right? And uh, it's it's essentially scams, right? So the proliferation of scams has been just phenomenal, right? There's, it started from the classic Nigerian prince email scam asking for money, but now yeah, you know, it it has evolved into uh, crypto investment advisor scams. Big butchering, romance scams, tech support scams, job scams, etc. Gift card scams, as you know, with your gift name. card oh. scams, yeah, yeah. And what we are finding is that often these victims, uh, elderly folks, are being conned over, you know, a phone call or you know uh, uh, via text message, and then the attacker is oftentimes asking them to download a tool, right? Like they'll they'll ask them to download TeamViewer, Viewer, any desk, tricks, etc. And then they'll coach them into how to go and buy a gift card or how to go create an account at a, at a retailer to buy a gift card. Uh, and when they're coaching them, then they and when the victim is actually doing the transaction, then we look for signs like, is there an active phone call in session when you're doing your purchase? right? Or we look for signals like, you know, Are you, is someone else remotely controlling your screen when you're doing the purchase? Or is the scammer actually asking you to take screenshots or record your screen when you're doing the purchase? Because if you're doing a screen, taking a screenshot while doing your purchase or recording your screen, evidently the scammer, the reason they do this is because they want to get that, get collect that as evidence that they can pass up their chain of commands so they can get paid right And yeah. yeah, and the way you do it is that you know, uh, we provide retailers and banks like an SDK. Uh, it's both a mobile SDK, hundreds of kilobytes, or on the web, it's like 20 lines of code. You put it in in JavaScript on your website at the time of login or sign up, and it is just you know monitoring all this like uh, screen activity of how you move the mouse, how you type, etc. And in real time, within hundreds of milliseconds, it's it's actually going to give you a response. So you can actually stop the transaction. You can stop the gift card from being purchased online, or you can stop uh, stop the KYC from being pre- uh, submitted in real time, and uh, then you can actually prevent a lot of harm further downstream.
0: Way before a transaction actually occurs, way before any money moves out of a credit card or a bank account, way before you have to report cancellations to the rest of your you know, company, but also you know, before any harm is done to those victims, which is, at the end of the day, should be our biggest goal. Right, It should be to not be enabling scams and fraud and, and not have our companies be within the scam life cycle or the fraud life cycle. And I think that we've definitely seen a lot of an evolution of scams you know, as they've been going along, even in just the last five years of almost following the patterns of the type of fraud technology that's out there. And that's why I think we've seen so many victim assisted scams is because there's only so much that banks can do or, you know, P2P providers can do, crypto providers can do, you know, e-commerce companies, what they could do anyways, to be able to detect it. And when you wait until you're detecting it at the time of transaction, it's almost too late in a lot of cases. And so being able to move it upstream and look at technology and how you can use it in a different way. And by having it modular, you can update those modules as more technology becomes available. That's a game changer.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, yep, hundred percent. We've been doing real-time fraud prevention from day zero, right? Uh, because and the, this was actually a, an interesting realization for me. I before I got into like e-commerce fraud, right? Like, yeah, you know, uh, I I used to get the impression that e-commerce fraud has to be real-time, but not really. Like e-commerce fraud, you still have time before you ship the goods, right? If it's a
0: physical item, yes, absolutely. If it's a physical
1: item, yeah, yeah, exactly. So therefore, uh, now the other realization we had is that because we started first in digital-first industries, if you can solve for fraud in digital-first industries where the goods are moving very, very quickly... Uh, you can actually definitely, definitely bring it back to, uh, you know, physical delivery of goods, e-commerce retailers as well, because we are already built for real-time fraud prevention.
0: That reminds me of a few people that I um, have known over the years who started out in e-commerce gaming, right, or gambling, you know, for fraud prevention in their career, Uh, or they started out at a wallet or crypto, and then they'll move to a retailer who, you know, ships physical goods themselves or a marketplace where they're the platform but they're relying on someone else to ship physical goods on their behalf to a buyer and they're but they're putting their name on it so they're responsible for you know if that item doesn't get shipped or if you know all the uh, isn't what they said it was and all those other issues that can happen and oftentimes especially towards the beginning of fraud prevention you know maybe 10-15 years ago a lot of people would stay in their silos. They'd say, okay, you know what? I worked in retail, so I'm going to stay in physical goods, or I worked in digital, so I'm going to stay in digital. And I would see people who would move from digital to physical and physical to digital. And Never failed. When they started out in digital, they could do physical with their eyes closed. They're like, you have a shipping address? You know where this item is going to be delivered? Like, that's luxury. And that's not to say that there isn't, you know, uh, UPS forwarding and there are, or, you know, shipping forwarding and and all the other things that can happen for physical goods. And I'm not at all trying to say that that's easy, more or less. But when you've had to, you know, especially as more and more companies are moving away from really relying on AVS response for, 8 million reasons, uh, you know, because they're really, it's not as helpful for fraud prevention as as many people think. It often usually leads to a lot of false positives. Um, as they're moving away from that, you don't, they're realizing, oh, I don't need all this information, but it can take, you know, for people who started out on the physical side, you know, physical goods side, and they got so reliant on physical address and, you know, address verification from the bank. They just couldn't even fathom, how can I live without that? How can I go to to a crypto company? I mean, what, what do I do? I mean, how do I, especially when, you know, the IP probably isn't even the IP because they're using... You know, emulators, or they're using all these other different tools that can, you know, proxies and everything else, which again, you, you know, mentioned that you guys go right through that and look at the true IP, but there are, many companies that that don't have those capabilities. And so, you know, then you really, at the end of the day, it's not that it's impossible. It's that you need to be working and using a tool that provides you as much data and insight as possible so that you can scale as quickly as your company wants to. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, on on that note, right? So Sardine has now started working with a lot of these uh, physical delivery uh, retailers, right? Like in, in, like... Uh, very large marketplaces or, you know, uh, logistics, 3PL companies. It's actually fascinating. Like I'm like a kid in a candy store when I talk to some of your listeners here, right, who are working in those areas. Because as those key industries, right, get digitized, right, if I could previously like book a truckload over the phone, but now I have to do it online or if I could buy like a high-value good, like a, a, a car, uh, you know, I had to previously go walk in and buy, but now I could again use do do it online. Then the risk of fraud or the dollars being lost to fraud is just humongous. Like you could be out twenty thousand dollars worth of goods sold, or hundred thousand dollars, or million dollars of worth of product, right? And the that is just really truly fascinating to me, right? Like as these industries they get digitized, the risk of fraud is actually pretty high, and to me, like that's the new frontier of fraud prevention. Let's go after these industries that are getting digitized and really, really help them solve for all these digital first issues that we've been solving in the the past.
0: You hit the nail on the head because there's so many differences that I've seen from this 10,000 foot view, and I'm sure there have been for you too, of companies that are digital first versus companies that are transitioning into digital. It's... To me, there's actually even more differences in that than there are physical and digital companies, you know, as far as delivery goes, right? So you have digital delivery companies as far as, you know, whether it's crypto or it's gift cards or it's gambling or whatever that is, right? There's not a physical item to ship or you have the shipping. But then in this case, you have companies that are you know hundred 200 years old and they're trying to be digital but they aren't thinking the same way as digital first and that the differences between those two companies to me and my just observations range from everything from the way that they compensate the people that work for them i mean the salary ranges are are often especially in fraud and compliance the companies that didn't start digital first are not going to like that i say this but typically speaking, digital first companies, they recognize that fraud and compliance are really important and they don't see them as an afterthought the way that, you know, longtime retailers or logistics companies or others would see loss prevention, right? They would just put them at the, you know, at the door after the purchase has been made in a store. So why not do that, you know, digitally as well. And so when they're thinking about, they're trying to keep up And they're trying to be able to compete, right? Whether it is a longtime bank that started out, you know, brick and mortar banks and, you know, your everyday teller against these neo banks that are moving so fast the way that, you know, one of your previous employers does, Um, or it's a longtime retailer that is, you know, trying to add on a website and they think, oh, it's easy. We can compete against the largest digital marketplaces that have, don't have any physical stores. This is easy. Well, it's not. And so they're thinking about it differently. And I think it's such an important point to you that you've obviously seen that difference too and thought, hey, instead of just focusing on the companies who get it right away, we and because we were able to do that, we were able to work with you know be in the most. I think uh, I've seen it because you are very active on LinkedIn as well, and I always appreciate reading your posts. And I think you've said something like you know when you grow up in the mean streets of crypto, <laughs> you know <laughs> working in retail is easy. I think it's similar with you know, when you grow up in the mean streets of digital. First, you can then help transform and help those companies keep up with. You know, competition that is native to digital and digital issues and thinking about those problems and prioritizing them in a way that non digital first companies can't.
1: Yeah, the exact quote we like to say is that if you grow up in a tough neighborhood, you learn a trick or two.
0: Ah, yes. (laughs) I knew that I, I knew that I messed that up a little bit, but it's true.
1: Yeah, it's so (laughs) true, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think you're seeing that. Now, when you first started Sardine, did you ever think that you would be working with? some of these companies that weren't digital first, or were you just focused on digital first? And then it's kind of, as you have conversations, as you meet other people in the market, you learn, oh, wow, these guys need probably even more of our help than, you know, and you can work with both, you know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, obviously, but.
1: Yeah, no, actually, so uh, going back, right, like, so when you started digital first, uh, and therefore, when we focused on behavior biometrics and device intelligence based fraud prevention, it kind of gave us the edge because we had to go super, super deep, right? Instead of having the luxury of just buying an SDK from a third-party provider, we actually built it ourselves, right? We do fingerprinting of the device, fingerprinting of the browser, we detect bots, PSU proxies, we look back behind VPNs and tell you true location of the user, right? And all the behavior stuff, like how you hold the phone, types, how you type, swipe, scroll, all of that. So we get super, super, super deep. That now gives us the really distinct advantage in cross-border commerce. Where again, you don't have a shipping address. Like no one today has a global shipping address database, which says in 160 countries these are trustworthy addresses and these are addresses which are PO boxes or drop shipping, right? So therefore, how do you solve for fraud? For if you're working uh, for like a cross-border uh, retailer like Shine, right? Uh, yeah, like where the goods are being shipped one sixty 60 plus countries, right? Uh, so therefore, again, right? Like you have to now look at users' behavior. Right. As retailers are now looking into things like refund scams or, you know, people who are willfully claiming that the goods that they received were, you know, uh, they're, they're bad. But of course, you know, once, one time, it's hard to detect that if they become a serial abuser, you have to again look at the device and behavior data, right? Like, are they always using the same two IP behind a proxy because I'm doing this at scale? Or am I using a script when I'm doing this, right? Which uh, we did a script because there's no moss movement in a script, right? Or if there is a moss movement, it's a straight line, right? So therefore, what the realization we had was that, yes, we did not at the get-go start thinking that we'll go after retailers. But in the last uh, year and a half, we've now been increasingly working with retailers, my marketplaces. And you're finding that if as a provider or a builder, if you distill everything down to first principles and build like the basic building block of lego then with that lego building block you could build a palace you could build a you know a kitchen you could build like a playground you could build everything right so that's 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 what gives us the distinct advantage this focusing on the user behavior allows us to actually go after uh, newer industries
0: yeah, and that's, I think, that's something I just want to make clear, because I think it is it is challenging for us, you know, it's very, it's not common for the same companies to be attending fintech conference and a banking conference and an e-commerce conference, like as far as, you know, from a solution provider point of view. And so it can get confusing and say, okay, well, they may have used to work with these guys, but now they work with these guys. No, they work with all of them. And I think there's also this combined intelligence, because I'm sure, as you've seen, there are you know, the way that fraud works and not that I'm trying to like explain this to people who know it more, but just saying as far as they're always going to go path of least resistance. Right. And when they're targeting money or they're targeting something that's very high end, you know, technology that has been a target for a long time those companies have had to step up their game quite a bit. And so those fraudsters have had to step up their game quite a bit. And when you have that combined intelligence and that experience of working with, you know, hey, we defended these crypto companies, you know, the top three crypto exchanges in the world that <laughs> they've been seeing some of this fraud, these fraud tactics long before your company ever would, right? Uh, Because it's not just about the technology, it's about what types of, you know, resources and technology the fraudsters have on their end too. And so when you're seeing these over resourced, you know, top of the line, you know, crime organizations that are putting a lot of money and they're, they're recruiting their, you know, their engineers from Stanford and MIT to write these scripts or to do these you have to step up, you know, you guys have had to step up your game along the way for those digital first companies that you continue to support. And then because oftentimes what ends up happening, I mean, ATO is the easiest example that, you know, ATO started on the banking side years before anyone in e-commerce saw it. But once banking, yeah, once banking started to find, you know, whether it was through behavior biometrics or other, you know, technologies and and capabilities, being able to detect account takeover, and it was harder it was harder for fraudsters to do low level account takeover. They realized, oh, there's cards on file. And that is basically like a wallet, like you mentioned before. And so we can just run these scripts and do it this way. And you know, while consumers are maybe a little more focused on uh, keeping their passwords for their bank or their mobile more wallet secure. more secure, they aren't for, for you know the company that they use to travel once a year or 100%. So we've been dealing with it. So you know, account takeover, there was already a term for it when e-commerce started to see it. And we first saw it in online gaming and gambling, the console companies, the, you know, mobile gaming, the gambling, all of those, you know, um, multiplayer games, uh, all of those types of, uh, companies and then it's just started trickling down into physical goods retail over the years that's just another example of when you grow up in a tough neighborhood so to speak you're not just learning a few things because of the neighborhood you're in you're learning a few things because of the people who visit the neighborhood and if those people (laughs) are going to start visiting new neighborhoods oh we already know them we already know what to do because we did it over here
1: (laughs) yeah no absolutely that's 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 a great point. i'm gonna Borrow it, knockers.
0: <laughs> Please do. It. Well, I sometimes I'm really good at it, sometimes I'm not, but I'm always the queen of like extending an analogy almost sometimes too. That's far, uh, that's, but- a,
1: that's a beautiful one. <laughs> yeah. But
0: it's true as far as, you know, you you learn all of that. So I knew that this would happen, that we would have, you know, so long of a conversation and we would, you know, I would look at the time and go, oh, we probably need to, you know, wrap it up soon. Um, But it just, it always flows so quickly. But as we wrap up, what are, I think we've had the opportunity to talk about some really great things and a lot of, you know, lessons learned. But as we look forward to 2024, as we look at, you know, the... Consumer desire for faster payments moving faster than ever. You know, there, there was a recent NPR article, you know, about bank hesitancy into, you know, faster payments because of fraud and risk and scams. But as we're also looking at, you know, all types of you know, the, the needs on the business side, whether it's for an e-commerce company, a fintech, a, you know, hybrid of the two, Whatever it is, what are some things that you expect to see trending into the new year and that, you know, more more people are going to be needing to deal with?
1: Yeah, so uh, in terms of trends that we see, right, so uh, for different industries, we're seeing different trends, right? So for two-sided marketplaces, several of our customers and prospectives, they have said that, hey, no one, you know, that they, they have pretty good tools out there for detecting buyer-side fraud, but not much for seller-side fraud, right? So, and now, guess what? Because we started with, you know, fraud and compliance in one API, my distinct belief is that, you know, increasingly a lot of marketplaces, they have to do much better solid KYC of the sellers, right? Especially if they, if they, like, up until a certain dollar value, you don't have you can get it without doing a KYC, but after a certain value, you have to do KYC. And, like, Everyone is actually going to need to be in some way or fashion or form, even e-commerce retailers have to have some KYC. Therefore, our banking routes, they help us here, right? So therefore, I, my prediction would be 2024, two-sided marketplaces, they start getting more stringent on seller-side KYC, uh, you know, and we, we are going to be definitely out there. We're going to be helping them with all the collusion fraud detection. The second thing that we are seeing is, again, now with, uh, with retailers. We've been hearing a lot of them have been asking for help on detecting defense scams, right? Uh-huh. And for so defense scams, again, yeah, uh, you know, I alluded to it briefly, but I'll extrapolate now. Uh, yeah, you know, there is like if I am just shipping back a laptop but filling rocks in it, yeah, you know, that you know, hard for like a digital vendor like us to detect it, right? Because that's really we have to open the box and see what is inside it, but. Let's say if, I, if I'm now doing it in a serial fashion, like if I recruited a bunch of kids and you know they're all sitting in a DPO and trying to do this, the moment a fraudster tries to scale it up, we'll catch it. That's our thesis, right? Because when they scale it up by writing a script, we'll detect scripts. Or they scale it up by trying to hide their IP address, we'll look behind it and tell you the true IP, right? Uh, then, of course, the, now going to like sort of the banking space, right? Uh, banks... There's a couple of trends we are seeing. One is that a lot of banks, you know, or, or rather like the financial services industry in general, they are now increasingly thinking about faster payment methods, right? And as they think about faster payment methods or as Zelle becomes more and more prevalent, uh, you know, and as, uh, you know, regulators start looking into, uh, how do you establish liability in those faster payment methods, right? Like the UK, uh, has gone out and said that, you know, uh, both the sending bank and the receiving bank, if there's money movement happening and you can't assign liability, then they have to both share the liability 50-50. And, Zelle, and recently, Zell came out and said that, hey, uh, we'll proactively, uh, like the banks came out and said, we'll proactively refund folks who've been scanned out of uh, uh, you know, sending money uh, via Zell. But my thesis is that because of, you know, uh, every action has an equal opposite reaction. So now that Zell is actually saying that, hey, I'll refund, or the banks are saying I'll refund folks who are being scammed. Guess what will happen? There'll be a lot of false scams. Absolutely, there'll be a lot of first-party okay. scams as well, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. So therefore, yeah, like it's uh, uh, it's something that we are constantly thinking about, right? So again, we are building product uh, we 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 have products out there to detect, if you know, uh, when faster payment is happening, is the recipient should they be trusted or not, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we do. In the counterparty. Right. Secondly, we are, and the way we screen the counterparty just to extrapolate is like we we'll look at is the counterparty's email and phone number new or is the phone number uh, not registered to the counterparty but to someone else? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right. Is it the phone number of the app? Like the, you know, is the app registered to that phone number or are they entering in a totally different phone number than they're actually using? Right. Like all of those pieces. Yeah. I, it's really interesting. And, and so fun. I I absolutely that's one of my favorite things about being a consultant is being able to solve, you know, so many new problems and uh kind of like how you said you feel like a kid in the candy store with e-commerce companies. I mean, I always do because within e-commerce, they have so many different industries and so many different categories and so many different issues and being able to say, "Hey, this worked for this company over here, can this work for, you know, them over there?" that kind of thing. But I can see how it really informs and how exciting it is on your side to build solutions and to realize, actually, we already built this solution. We just need to apply it a little bit differently. You know, what worked over here, it can absolutely work over there.
1: hundred percent. Hence the Lego analogy, right? So because we we, we are selling you a three in one Lego pack uh, where you could build a dinosaur or, you know, like a, a space station, all of the same thing. Uh, but like, if you get bored of it, you can actually combine all of them and build something totally different as well.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a fun conversation and I know that one of my favorite things about you know learning about new technology is that my wheels start spinning, you know, just like yours have and think, Oh, well, if you can do that, you can do this and similar to the Lego analogy, right? Like, okay, I used these Legos to build, you know, this over here, you have this building, but now I can build, use it to build a bridge over here and all of that. So I can only imagine that uh, Fraudology listeners have, are starting to have their wheels turned to. And recently you, yourself and a couple of members of the Sardine team uh, provided a demo to Fraudology listeners, especially for the fraud practitioners. So people who are, you know, fighting fraud on the ground, who uh, are working for whether it's traditional banks, neobanks, you know, fintech, crypto, e-com in all of its, you know, realms, um, gift cards, et cetera. And so we're gonna go ahead and put the link to the to sign up. To request to see the demo in the show notes for today, uh, so anyone who wants to learn more specifically about what Sardine looks like and all of that, you can request uh, to receive the demo, and uh, my team will make sure that you meet the qualifications. You know, as a fraud practitioner, and we will send that uh, around. And then, Stoops, I'm also going to put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. As even though I am sure you're. <laughs> similar to me, where you wish you could reply to everyone who writes you a a private message, but I still have not figured out a way to clone myself. Um, But you are an excellent person to follow uh, and uh, to be able to learn information from. And you also often will tag some of your you know, people on your team for other people to reach out to if they have questions too.
1: Thank you so much for having me on this place. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and yeah, like the, we went into uh, topics that I hadn't thought about, but it was so much fun, right? Yeah.
0: That's always the joy of this. Yeah, we just kind of, you know, we, we kind of say, okay, well, what do we want to talk about? And then we just kind of go into different directions. And I think that's uh what listeners enjoy listening to, too, is, you know, it wasn't a planned conversation, it was genuine and uh just, you know, off the top of our heads and things that we're passionate about and know, you know, when you know a lot about something, you don't have to prepare. So that's That's the best way for it. Well, thank you again so much, Supes, for your time. I cannot wait until we're at uh, the same conference again so that we can see each other in person soon. And uh, I will look forward to speaking with you soon.
1: Thank you once again. Cheers. Thank you.